0: Hello, good afternoon, Michael Wynn, Chief Digital Officer of Digital Ops, a division of R.B. Oppenheim Associates. Welcome to the Digital Marketing Podcast and video series. We talk about digital marketing strategies to help grow your business. Today, I am really excited to have a really special guest on the show, Eric Huberman from Hawk Media. Eric, welcome to the show, my friend.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You know, uh, your story is really something interesting, and I'm I'm so glad that you're on the show. You were named in Forbes 30 Under 30 uh, just a couple of years ago because of the success that you have demonstrated as an entrepreneur. And so, while today we're going to talk about really what what is the pandemic pivot for any business looking to grow their business into 2021, and we're going to talk very practically about it but let me ask you this what do you think if if i am a entrepreneur or a solopreneur and i'm trying to sit here and figure out what i'm going to do what what's the mistake that i need to try to avoid in in starting off on the wrong foot
1: yeah it's kind of doing that it's sitting around trying to think of the business you're going to start i think that's where most entrepreneurs go wrong and you see a lot of failure is forcing a business out that nobody cares about just for the sake of being an entrepreneur. And I think that is, it's kind of a fallacy that a lot of people have. Don't get me wrong, like brainstorming ideas and thinking about businesses is fine, but forcing it and being like, I need to figure out something, so I'm gonna go with this business idea that popped up. I watch a lot of young entrepreneurs do, and I, th- I shouldn't say young, not young by age, but by experience. And it's its usually a mistake because you end up forcing a product or service out that there was no real need for, there's not, you're not really solving anything for anyone or creating anything for anyone. And so I watch a lot of entrepreneurs end up doing that. And then you get into this cycle of launching business after business after business that no one needs, and they just fail, 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 as opposed to actually seeing a hole in the market or an opportunity and then attacking that. And I think you're better off when you don't have that idea of frankly working in an industry you're passionate about or learning something on a job, like actually taking a job and learning until you spot that thing or realize that thing or learn about that thing that you think you could improve on and pivot on to create something. So I, I think that is a big mistake that I see is people literally sitting around brainstorming their next business idea when it and they end up forcing it because, it you know, there's a time pressure. At some point, you got to make money. So take that pressure off if you don't have the thing you're going to start right now and get a job and then, or consult, bring some cash in, be in the market, be in the industry so that you're looking around, seeing things. And eventually you'll probably stumble upon that thing that makes sense to build.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think that's great advice. Yeah. Trying to force something that's not there is definitely a, a, a recipe for failure. Um, so a lot. yeah. So I think the next thing would be if, if let's say you do find yourself in a position where you recognize that there is a, a gap in, in the market or, there's something in the market that you could tweak just a little bit, and and now you've got this you know idea uh, or or this concept that that you want to. What are the next steps if if you do find yourself in this aha moment? What do you do
1: next? Yep. I mean, what, whatever it is, I hope that there's a way to create the product or service easily. Like I, I'm a believer that if you have to raise money to launch a company, with rare exceptions, you probably aren't the right team to launch it. Like. This, to be honest, like you got to be able to get to market and get a few sales before you start asking for other people's money, unless it's like high tech or something super innovative. That's my view of it. And so, get it if you're you if you do above the team or you can do it yourself, which is the best scenario, get it to market and go get some customers. That's that's traction. Like, go actually make sure people want to pay you for this. And I don't mean your friends and family, I mean actual new customers that think it's great. And either they, if it's a lifestyle product, they love what you're building or if it's a, you know, sort of serves a need, make sure the people that have that need feel it's served.
0: Yeah. You know, your story is interesting too. Uh, You had a couple of early success, uh, successes under your belt in the music industry. Um, Tell us a little bit about what, what that little success was when you were like, I got it. This is working. Like, just give us a little taste of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I had online like business coaching for musicians. That was, there was a mission behind that. That was, wow, there's so many independent artists out there and none of them understand business. We got to help them. And that came from like a 12 year old conversation with my dad and mom. When I saw that sting was ripped off for $30 million by his manager and we're like, well, why? And they're like, You didn't understand business. So like that was revived when I was 22 and built a business around that idea. And we had tons of musicians paying us month over month to get business and then we saw those musicians start to have more and more traction and get some success and went this is there's something here and then the second one was a t-shirt subscription company that was straight up we i was like i hate shopping like why do all these companies make it so hard like if anyone buys me a t-shirt i'll wear it at that point i was like i don't care what it is like just get me something that kind of fits my style and go deal with it for me i don't like shopping and so like, why don't we do that for people just pick out a t-shirt that fits kind of their personal style and so we created a style quiz and all these things and we were one of the first subscription e-commerce companies to try to and try to make that easy then joined the incubator that launched dollar shave club advised there with a bunch of brands helped them launch an activewear brand with a similar business model during a time when every girl was buying lululemon at 120 bucks for yoga pants and i went well why does it have to be that expensive and can we make this similar model but with a cheaper option and that's what we launched we created ellie which was quick success too, because the industry was hot. And so it was, again, always looking at a nuance to the industry and going like, I don't like this. I'm going to try something different. And I think it will work theoretically. And then, Oh, look, we made a bunch of money. Okay. Let's keep doing this.
0: Yeah. One thing that I I really latch on to uh, about your story is how you recognized, you know, um, either you recognized an inadequacy uh, a deficiency. There's a way to do it better, more effective, but it also seems to tie back into something personal about yourself. How do I dress? What music do I listen to? And I feel like that's and that's happened for me as well. Things that that I'm passionate about, I'm I'm ultra sensitive to. Could it be better? Could it be different? And maybe that, as the solopreneur, um, might be part of the path.
1: I'd say, I mean, sure, for the first two, I think I grew out of that, frankly, because oh. I, I mean, my last company was selling women's activewear. I promise I don't cross-dress on the, weekends. <laughs> it the way it does, but that wasn't really my habit. I actually made them create a onesie out of the yoga pant material just so I had something to wear from my, my company. <laughs> but um, that was fun. It's neon green. I still have it somewhere. Um, but a, I really, we, we grew past that. I think I love growing things. So whatever it is, that's always been my passion. And so initially, it was definitely having to pull from things that I knew because that's I was young. I didn't have that much experience. I had to pull from things that I innately knew. But at this point, I was able to focus more on knowing I know marketing. I know e-commerce. So I'm going to focus on that for any industry. So it was really just trying to bring maximize the value I could possibly bring at the age I was.
0: I think another thing, too, that you mentioned that is a point that I think a lot of listeners could really relate to, and that is you had a knowledge base of experience um, which led to consulting opportunities. And and I feel like that could be also another part of the path. And ultimately what ended up happening with you, and I think is a good story to kind of tell and explain is, okay, you were consulting, you were doing really well, but there seemed to be a, a greater need. And, and you either needed to like replicate yourself and like clone about 5 Eric's or you needed to build a team and I think this is really about if if you start things and you need to scale what happens next and I think this lends to sort of hawk media and and how this thing kind of evolves so talk about that for a minute.
1: Yeah, I think you know that Hawk Media was really when I became more reactive than proactive and I've tried to stay that way in a lot of ways, like proactive in the terms of ideas is fine, but I think proactive in terms of how you build a business, you have to be careful. Um, Hawk Media was just answering problems along the way for frankly now seven years where it was like, well, you really need email marketing help. The email agency I use sucked. We're not going to use them anymore. I'm trying to hire someone in house for you, but nobody wants to drive to your office cause you're in East LA and nobody wants to be here. So I know a really good email marketer that'll come work for me and I have like three clients that need it. So I'm just going to hire that. Like I just gave a lot longer even, it was shorter decision than that. It was like, that sucks. That sucks. I have this, let's just do that. And made quick decisions. And then I had enough income as a consultant that I'd never made that kind of money that I was like, I don't need this money. I'm still living pretty frugally. So why don't I just use it to hire a few people and see where this goes. And that's how it started. It was hired a few people to compliment what I was doing. And then watched like okay, well now we need two email marketers. Now we need a second Facebook marketer. Now we need a manager for that team because it's grown too fast. Now I need this, and it was literally just as things grew, I needed new people and just started growing it very reactively in that sense, right? Based on what the market wanted.
0: So I mean, obviously you were you were in a marketplace, you know, in in uh, on the on the West Coast, and you know salaries over there have to be in line with the cost of living and you know, when you spread your consulting salary amongst five, six, seven people, I mean, they had to take a a pretty significant pay cut. And I think the interesting thing about that and where we find ourselves in a COVID-19 environment is I do think that there is a large pool of people out there who wanna continue to do work, who are talented. They will take a lower pay to get started. If there's upside, so I was gonna say
1: that is there was upside. I think they you know truly believed in the upside, and so that's where you, like if if people have the luxury of being able to take lower pay because let's say their personal overhead isn't so high, I think they will when the upside's articulated. People are willing to take risks as long as they you know the rewards there.
0: Right. So you guys, when you started, you you know went the traditional route. You you know got a building. You assembled your team. Um, you know, tell me how you guys have made the shift, uh, as it relates to, you know, COVID and, and I mean, obviously, uh, Los Angeles and California, you guys were a hot spot. Florida, like us, where we are, same thing. What did, when did, did, when did you guys go remote?
1: We went remote March 13th of this year, 2020. Uh, it was Friday. It was the, we went remote about an hour before Trump declared a national emergency. Um, so sent everyone home, said we'll probably be back in a couple of weeks. So, you know, just go grab what you need and we'll work from home. And that that was eight months ago.
0: <laughs> and and now you guys are because of this, there's been some scale, right? I mean, you're you were in, you know, what, six uh states and now twenty and plus.
1: 24. Now we're in twenty-one or twenty-two.
0: Right. Talk about some of the dynamics. I mean, I I think that that's what's really interesting to me is when you open up the the remote digital virtual workforce. That really has an impact on scale, right? Yeah, it's
1: it it really good and bad. I mean, you know, the good stuff is you can hire wherever you want to. We still pay the same. We're not like Facebook and Twitter decided to like downgrade people's pay based on where they live, which I thought was a little bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, it's the opposite. Let's pay people better than they're making. People could make in those places. You can live wherever you want. If you want to live, you know, in a place with a lower cost of living, like Salt Lake city, Boise, et cetera, places people are moving to great. You're going to make really good money for the market. And you're probably never going to want to leave Hawk media. Like that's our view of it. Our business model is very tight both ways where it's like, we're not trying to maximize our revenue on people, but we're also not trying to minimize it. We just have a very fixed margin. We try to stay around. Um. And so it doesn't matter where people work, which makes them again, be able to make crazy money in certain, you know, where they normally wouldn't, which allows us to get some of the best talent around the country now and real and scalability, as you kind of mentioned, like hiring isn't an issue. We have plenty of, when you're hiring anywhere in the United States, you've got a pretty big job pool to pick from versus LA, New York, Boston, and Maryland. Like it's, we've really expanded it out though. So don't get me wrong. Those are big cities, but still there's also a lot of competition in those cities where for now. We're, you know, we're recruiting people from, they're, they're really excited to work with us. And there's just a different tone in that sense, which has been great. Um, the downside is it's a lot harder to build that kind of team environment, that culture of camaraderie, because nobody's hanging out with each other. Nobody's sitting next to each other. That's more COVID driven than remote work. I feel like though, I think we'll have plenty of opportunities to get people together in, you know, five people around, whatever it is to get teams together post COVID, um, But obviously there is a little bit of nuance of sitting in an office every day and getting comfortable with each other that you lose and that feeling of being tied together. But we're trying to do a lot to at least bridge the gap there. And so like any problem, I think there are decent solutions Um, and the benefits of being remote, not having to pay the overhead of an office. We still have ours, but as soon as someone takes it off our hands and having a few other things that go into play, letting people not commute, letting people stay home. Like there's just... Again, there's, and there's also that difference between working remote and COVID like COVID for our employees with kids, they're running around. They, that it, it's sometimes hard to manage all of it without COVID. Like they're going to their kids, let's say go to school and come home, but they get to see their parents at, you know, as soon as they get home from school versus at the end of the day, when it's already dark, like there's just so many small nuances and benefits to it that replace the one benefit of being in office, which is that yeah, sort of nuanced, you know, you get to just go walk over and talk to someone that I think we can still make up for that piece and get all the benefits of remote.
0: Yeah, you mentioned, uh, you know, you were like, hey, I, 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 I you know, the, the people who are doing email, they sucked, I needed, you know, let's get someone better, you know, and then you went yep. to the next level. Talk about some of the the very specific specialists that are on your team and and what they do. I mean, obviously you're doing Facebook marketing, but tell me about these very integrated team members and, and kind of what they're doing and what they're best at.
1: Yeah, so our model, it's, we have experts that are very specific experts in their type of marketing channel. So as you mentioned, Facebook, Google, web design, content creation, um, email marketing, SMS marketing, et cetera. And they're basically working directly with some of the major platforms to execute best practices. Like our vision of Hawk is to really be the most consistent, successful marketing partner to companies that like, you know, you're going to come to us. Think of like Delight and EY for accounting, but for marketing, like you're going to be successful with us. You're going to be fine will we be the guy that hides your money in the Cayman Islands? Probably not. Like we're we're not necessarily looking to just like, yeah, I hate the term growth hacking because I think a lot of times it's just, they're, they're, it's not scalable. It's like a quick sugar rush of a marketing strategy and then doesn't do anything after that. And so we're going to focus on the things that are scalable that can really build a solid defensible business. Um, and so with those individual, individual channels, we're running best practices and running all the things that make those channels work for brands and doing the best practice. And then we have our strategy team or outsource CMO team that's pulling together that overall strategy, because I think that's what most people miss is that it's all integrated. When you're running Facebook ads, if you're not doing email and SMS marketing, you're missing out on an ROI opportunity that is massive, like significant. And seeing that the whole marketing landscape is competitive, you really do have to maximize all these different channels to really get the best results and sometimes even um, sustainable results.
0: Yeah, I Let's think that's, that yeah, no, I think that's interesting because I think a mistake that that businesses often make is they have a very siloed approach to these very yeah. specific tactics. And so, you know, and it comes from a, you know, industrial, you know, business model where, you know, you've got one gal or girl who is building, you know, uh, front seats and then the next person is building steering wheels and, you know, from this industrial model, right? And when you, when you break out these very specific channels and you have specific team members who are responsible for those specific areas, knowing that they're working together in concert with these other channels is important. So how do you guys handle that?
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just how we're built. We, we constantly uh, collaborate as a team on the different pieces that we think are missing. And you know, our, we, we're actually working on a book called The Hawk Method. And it's the idea of like, basically you have awareness, nurturing and trust. And it's the three pillars of marketing and looking at it from a more holistic approach, awareness being, how do you drive new awareness for your brand nurturing? What do you do with that awareness to convert to a customer and then keep them coming back and trust of how do you build trust with an audience so that they actually buy and they keep buying, they tell their friends, et cetera. So these are the pieces that we look at. And so our team's constantly looking at what's missing, like why, where is the lack of optimization? Because there's always room for improvement on marketing. So we're always looking at what's the next piece that should be going with this strategy or if it's not working, why? And what piece is missing there?
0: Eric, I'm super excited. I don't know if you just like let something out of the bag that no one knows if there's a, a, the Hawk Method book is coming out and you just like totally dumped on on the audiences. I'm fired up. Let's rewind the tape for a minute and and talk about this. So again, the Hawk Method is three core pillars. Say that again, because I, and for those of you who are sitting at your desk or listening, get out a freaking pen, a piece of paper right now and write down the three things that Eric is about to say, because if you miss them, you are missing the whole point of the show. One more time, yeah. those three points.
1: Yeah, it's awareness, nurturing and trust. So awareness, meaning how do you introduce your product or service to new eyeballs, to new people? So creating awareness for your company, it's that simple. It can be advertising, can be PR, can be word of mouth. There's a lot of ways to drive awareness. Um, Word of mouth, obviously, is harder to control, but there are things you can do to push it. Then what people miss more than anything in marketing is the nurturing piece, where it's like it takes time from someone seeing an advertisement to buying something. And if you don't do things along the way to help bring them along, you're going to lose them. And so things like email marketing, SMS, content, all these different things that bring people into the fold and keep them coming back so that you can help drive that conversion, accelerate the time period it takes to convert. Uh, increase the conversion rate, increase word of mouth, all these things nurturing super important Then trust. um, There was a study done a few years ago that 75% of consumers won't purchase from a company they don't inherently trust. So early on doing things for third party validation, like press and reviews and testimonials and influencer marketing, things that build that trust and efficacy until you've built, frankly, a brand where people inherently trust you.
0: wicked good man wicked good i love it it's it's the it's the hawk ant awareness yeah. nurturing and trust i love it i love it all right so last point we're going to drive it home really if 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 brands and companies or or entrepreneurs are really going to understand that that there is a pandemic pivot the way that you think about growth and i feel like one of the things that that you have an answer for is, is that when you start to build a team, there is going to come a point where you need to bring on informed, educated, highly talented, highly skilled, very specifically like you're trying to assemble this SWAT team or this A team, you know, this, this band of highly skilled executable, you know, warriors, digital warriors. Right. But I, you, I can't afford. I'm I'm in the middle of growth, or I'm in the middle of scaling back because of COVID. Being yeah. able to have and and rely on a, a business model like yours, which is almost like an a la carte service, that's a win. So I mean, how does that structure work?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it, yeah, it's, that's the idea. Is like when you're trying to be nimble and flexible, we we realized this at the beginning of COVID, which was fortunate, like we thought that we would joke about if the world froze or the world ended, that's the only way our business suffers, because we're a la carte month to month. And if the whole world shuts down like a world war or something, everyone's going to fire us. And that could be the end of it. You know, if we weren't worried about a recession, because in a recession, we're the work cost effective solution, and what we realized, that's actually not the case, because nobody wants to just shut their business down overnight. People wanted to find ways to adapt and pivot and change. And we are the most flexible solution. So when we had a bunch of people calling us the last two weeks of March, saying we need to shut down marketing. We're like, hey, your numbers are still good. You should stick with it and you can fire us whenever you need to. Like, Don't get ahead of it, there's no reason to because we're not locking you into a contract. So just fire us when you need to. And a lot of people, it saved our business in a lot of ways, but it also saved theirs because what we found out, which we know now, is that you know uh, e-commerce market share went from 13 to 30% in Q2 of this year our average client doubled their revenue that stuck with it. And we had a few that didn't listen and shut down. And I don't think they've come back. Like, you know, they, they got scared. And, and so, you know, having nimble partners and being able to be nimble in situations and in crises is super important. And now the world's still changing. We're still developing new habits that are going to stick with us for a very long time. And the longer that COVID in some senses lasts, the longer these habits are going to stay around things like everyone using Instacart and delivering their groceries everyone buying everything on Amazon like i don't know that that changes when things open up again because those habits are kind of ingrained at this point if it was a two week or a month long you know quarantine i think people would have just gone back to normal now it's probably creating some long lasting habits
0: you know i'm curious and and this might be too wide uh, you know because every business model is different but is there any trend in, in all the different strategies or tactics that you guys deploy, whether it's Facebook, content marketing, SEO, whatever, in the last five months, four months, have you noticed any kind of shift or or uptick in any one of those that seems to garner more attention or result in more ROI? Has the needle moved in any of those segments?
1: Which segment? Sorry, I repeat that.
0: Uh, you know, any of Facebook, content marketing, SEO, like, right. yeah, is no, there? I
1: mean, it, all, it all uptick because people's content consumption went up pretty drastically. It was like 75% mm-hmm. increase in content consumption. So any of the social platforms uptick, but Google did too. And the, I mean, it's always changing. And that's something that you just have to get used to. So from, you know, Q2, Q3, the, the benefit to people that stuck with it is most of the big companies of Fortune 500's pulled out. So the cost to advertise went down 30% and the market share doubled for digital companies. So huge success throughout this first or second and third quarter of this year. Once you hit October, the uh, election marketing budgets came in heavy and killed the cost for a lot of people. And the Fortune 500 started to come back into advertising in Q3. So you know, you, you ended up October was a tough month for a lot of people, because if you don't, understand what's going on in the world and you just sit in your little Excel vacuum of numbers on a spreadsheet, you'll confuse yourself. And that's where you have to be careful. But, you know, I think it was ad spends went up about 50 percent nationwide because about a third of marketing spends were political for the month of October. It was a massive month. Massive. massive. So that crushed anyone advertising online. But now that's gone and people are starting to ramp back up again. And it's going well.
0: Right. Right. Man, Eric, this has been, we have covered everything under the sun from, I feel like we're, you know, we started with like a six month old baby in the crib and now we're like graduated college and, and you know, onto our career life. Guys, uh, uh, Eric, thank you so When is the book coming out? Do you have a published date? We don't, we're, we're, we're
1: done with the manuscript, but we're working on a published date now, but excited for it because it's things we've talked about for seven years that we're gonna be putting out there.
0: So where can people go to learn more about you guys? What's the best way?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm on every social media at or slash Eric Kuberman. We have our podcast, Hawk Talk. do that every week. And then uh, we, hawkmedia.com is probably easy as well.
0: Nice. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you again for joining in. Again, my name is Michael Wynn. I'm the Chief Digital Officer of Digital Ops, a division of RB Am Associates. Thanks for tuning in. Eric, always a pleasure to have you on the guest. Best of luck to you, sir. Thank you. All right. Take care.